got to the place and literally gave a spontaneous TED talk that wasn't planned about mission, vision, purpose, and writing the energy bus and positivity and how that really would change my life because the energy bus is all about driving forward with optimism, with belief, with vision, with passion, with purpose, building a great team. We're all going to face adversity. We're going to face negativity, but it's how you define yourself and your team's success through it all. And so, yeah, book changed my life. Eventually we'd go on to sell over 2 million copies. Wow. Here we are now, it's 13 years later and it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list uh, last couple weeks. So I guess people are needing optimism now more than ever. So it's it's really rekindling it. You know, Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. <laughs> and so we have to be more positive than the negativity that we face. So I have to learn that often. I have to remember that often because we're always being bombarded by negativity and adversity and energy vampires who want to suck the life right out of you. They want to steal your dreams. They want to sabotage your future. And you can't allow that negativity to do that. So you got to continue to move forward, stay positive. The Seven Rock Life Show is about stories that inspire with people that you will admire, learning to develop new chapters in life, learning from the past, but letting the old stories expire so it gives room for the new stories you create. Our brand is about three things, victorious in your life, contributing to society, and having fun along the journey. Seven Rock Life is a lifestyle that inspires and gives back with a mission to impact the world one life at a time. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko. Thanks for tuning in and being part of this journey. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Rock Life Show. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Mazurko, and I'm here with an awesome, awesome guest today. I'm really excited. We were just talking for a little bit. Uh, Mr. John Gordon. A uh, little background on, on John. He's a Wall Street, uh, bestseller, uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller. He's got over 20 books, eight bestsellers. He's spoken for a tremendous amount of companies and organizations and pro athletes. Uh, we were actually just talking how we're connected to some of the baseball guys and pro uh, baseball players uh, growing up here uh, in Long Island. So he's another Long Island native, um, which, is, uh, which is always nice. So I want to introduce my friend, John Gordon. Steven, thanks for having me. I am a true Long Islander, straight out of Long Island. We call it <laughs> Strong Island. Yes, yes, uh, man, it's 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 awesome, and um, it's definitely a different world. I know you're in Florida now, so um, so yeah, let's get into it. Uh, what are you doing now these days? You know, with the shift, um, many people know you. You know, you don't even need an intro because you you sold so many books and inspired so many people through your writing and your story. So what what's suggested for you? Well, I'm not on planes anymore. I'm not traveling. So now I'm finding a new way to share this message, and it's basically. Zoom. I'm Zooming with a lot of teams, a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders. And so the vision and the mission has stayed the same. I'm just finding a different way to share the vision and mission. People often ask about goals, which you do right now when your goals have changed or the numbers have shifted or the targets have shifted. I say, you're going to change your goals likely now because of the economy and where your sales were heading and where they're not heading now. But you don't want to change your vision and mission. That should remain constant. So for me, I'm just living that vision, sharing the mission, and just showing up each day on Zooms. I'm taking about two walks a day. 
I'm working on my basketball game in my front yard to keep my sanity, but I am getting better, which is great. Getting back to my old form, which is a lot of fun. Beat my son the other day. He's 20 years old. I thought, okay, not bad. <laughs> so, so, that, so the game's coming back. And really just reading and working on several different projects. So would I rather be out there? Yes. But am I growing in, in new ways? Yes. And I just also interviewed Matthew McConaughey yesterday on my podcast, Positive University. And that would have never happened if he didn't have this time during the coronavirus. So there are good things that can come out of it. We know that there's a lot of horrific things happening. So I don't want to really uh, you know, gloss over that. But I do want to say for each of us, most of us will not get sick from this thing. Most of us, all the research shows, will be okay even if we get it. And so we just have to ask ourselves, how can we grow from this time, get better because of this time? and then thrive on the other side of this time. Most are not gonna thrive like right now. You can work and do the work, but I think now is the time where you're planting seeds and doing a lot of work that you will experience a harvest later on. Absolutely. What's interesting, I was watching a, a TED talk that you did, uh, it was uh, sporadic because you got off the plane, you didn't even know about it. You're like, oh, I'm doing a TED talk. And uh, I don't know which one it was, it's from a few years ago. But you talked about maybe, you know, a lot of people have read this and the energy bus, and I think that's so, relevant to where your energy is going, um, you know, in today's world. So talk a little bit about how the energy bus was your, your, one of your breakthroughs and how, quick, long story short, how it really happened for you and what, what was that time like writing that? Yeah, it was a breakthrough for me big time. That's a book I wrote in 2006 and I wanted to write a book, a fable, and it just came to me on a walk one day. And so I wrote it in, in three and a half weeks. And after I wrote it, it was rejected by over 30 publishers. I was told to give up. A lot of times you'll be told to give up, but you shouldn't give up if you know that you're meant to do something. So I kept on hoping, kept on dreaming. Finally, John Wiley and Sons agreed to publish the book. So that was coming out. I was really excited. Um, went on a, a 28 city book tour, paid for myself. And, and by the way, I, I prayed for it to be a bestseller. It came out, it was a bestseller in Korea, South <laughs> Korea. <laughs> I learned you have to be specific with your prayers. Yeah. It was like this huge hit in South Korea, but no bookstores would carry it. So I go on this tour trying to spread the message. We had five people in one city, 10 people in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. Remember, I got home, didn't know what my future held, but I knew that I just had this vision. It was to encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. And so that's what I was there to do, just encourage and inspire still doing it to this day. That TED talk, I got off the plane that you talk about and literally they were wearing TED shirts. I said, oh, I love TED. They said, well, we're actually doing a TED conference tonight in the same place where you'll be speaking tomorrow. I was speaking at an education conference tomorrow and they were helping to organize a TED conference. They said, All right, we, had a, we had a speaker back out. Do you want to do it? Would you like to speak for us? And I had just spoken to the 49ers that night and the day before was with the team all day had like four hours sleep flying from San Francisco all the way to Ohio. Wow. Last thing I wanted to do was to speak. So I initially said, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't have anything planned. And as we're driving to the hotel, it occurred to me, there's a lot of people in the audience. If I speak, I can make a difference in those people. So I said, how many people are there? They said 400. I said, all right, I'll do it. And so went to the hotel, changed into a suit, got to the place and literally gave a spontaneous TED talk that wasn't planned about mission, vision, purpose, and writing the energy bus and positivity and how 
that really would change my life because the energy bus is all about driving forward with optimism, with belief, with vision, with passion, with purpose, building a great team. We're all going to face adversity. We're going to face negativity, but it's how you define yourself and your team's success through it all. And so, yeah, book changed my life. Eventually we'd go on to sell over 2 million copies. Wow. Here we are now, it's 13 years later, and it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list uh, last couple of weeks. So I guess people are needing optimism now more than ever. So it's, it's really rekindling it. But, but every year it hits the list like four or five times. That's amazing. I, and one of the things I remember, I was just reading it again in, in, a, in a, you know, last year, was um, the, the energy vampires. And you know, that's one of my favorite things because could you maybe talk about that, how you know, when you were, when you started writing that book, because when you, when you write the book, it's really therapy for you. It's reminding you, hey, this is kind of the framework of what I need to remember. And I don't know where you said it, but you had to go back to remind yourself, hey, this is what I, this is kind of my, my DNA. This is what I have to be. Just because I write it doesn't mean I'm going to live it automatically. I got to, I got to read it, write it, and then become it, right? So, so, so true. And you know, Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. <laughs> and so we have to be more positive than the negativity that we face. So I have to learn that often. I have to remember that often because we're always being bombarded by negativity and adversity and energy vampires who want to suck the life right out of you. They want to steal your dreams. They want to sabotage your future. And you can't allow that negativity to do that. So you got to continue to move forward, stay positive. And when that energy bus came out, it got so many bad reviews and so much uh, negativity, a lot of negative responses to the book. I probably should have given up, but I didn't. And it's so weird how years later, now most of the responses are positive, but initially there are a lot of negative responses. So it's really strange how, yeah, I had to go on this journey how to live the principles in the book for it to be real. Amazing. How was your childhood? What, what things in your childhood do you think made you who you are today? Well, I, I grew up in you know, Long Island, New York, in Smithtown, and mom was a Jewish mom, and dad was an Italian dad, and Jewish-Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt. And always for Easter? Yeah. Was that? And always for Easter, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah of course. Of course. All, all the good stuff, the big family, Italian dinners in the basement for seven, eight hours, right? Five, seven-course meals, homemade wine, and fruits and nuts and, and all the good stuff. Kitchen um, basement in the kitchen upstairs. You have two kitchens, you know, just yes. one break. This was in Queens. This was in Queens where my grandparents lived. So dad was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. So he wasn't a very positive guy. He was very loving, but just the most negative guy on the planet. But, but, but very loving, raised me and my brother as his own. He was actually technically our stepfather, but he, but he raised us and became our dad. It was an amazing, amazing man. And then growing up in, in that family, though, it wasn't very positive. So I think I wanted to pursue positivity as I get older because I really struggle with negativity. Like my natural default is to go towards the negative. People think I'm Mr. Positive, but I am naturally a pessimistic optimist. I first go towards pessimism, but then I have this eternal hope, this eternal optimism and belief that the best is yet to come. And that's what keeps me going. How, how important, you know, is, is your faith? I mean, you know, one of the rocks of life that we were just talking about is, is your spiritual, you know, what, um, you know, what, what has faith done in your life? And, you know, I know everybody goes on their journey in a different way, but what, what has that done for you? And 
Yeah, it's been everything for me. I mean, I really did go on a faith journey. I struggled with negativity and adversity and lost my job during the dot-com crash. So what were you doing? Technology, working for a technology company. It was a, a, a wireless software company and I was director of business development. And I had my 100,000 shares and I thought I was going to make a fortune and make all, all sorts of money. And then like, the, like most dot-coms, we crashed. That was not good. I moved to, to Florida at the time with my wife and two small children. So I went through this crisis during that time of, of, of faith, of, of who I was, of my ability to provide for my family. And then out of that, I just said, God, help me. Like, I need help. And that was the beginning of a faith journey, just asking God for help. Like, provide for me, God, and I will do your work. It was like the Jerry Maguire moment. Like, show me the money, God. Show me the money. Like, I need help right here because, again, no insurance, two months savings in the account, lose the job, don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. Really terrifying time. But that's when my faith was born during that time. And it was that time that made me start to, to seek God, to pray. And then several years later, I would have a really incredible spiritual encounter where this Jewish kid from, from Long Island um, really accepted Jesus as, as, his, as a savior. I really had an experience with Jesus where I accepted him. He transformed me from the inside out. I, I listened to these sermons that spoke to me. I asked God if, if there is this, if this Jesus is real, he is who he said he was, just show me the signs. Started seeing all the signs everywhere. Like you can not ignore them. They were, they showed up so many times. I was meditating cause I was, I, w- I had been Buddhist in many ways and practiced meditation and Buddhism and I'm meditating. I start seeing a glowing cross in my meditations. It was really wild. And I didn't have all the answers, but the more I read about Jesus and learned, it really, really spoke to me. And a lot of people may, may not like Christians, you know, in the way they act, but I think most people really love Jesus when they understand what Jesus is all about. And so that really transformed me from the inside out. As I came to faith, it changed me. I was more positive, more loving, more kind, more compassionate, more focused on others than myself. And then I wrote the energy bus literally right after that. Like right after that transformation, I would write this book. And now I've written 20 books, you know, sold over four and a half million copies. And I'm not saying like, oh, you find faith and then you're a success. It's not about that. Like, it's not like, oh, you'll be prosperous if you believe. Your faith in God doesn't make life easier. It just makes you stronger. Mm. For me, it clarified my purpose. I knew my why. And once you know your why, you will know the way. And so I had a clearer sense of purpose, which creates clarity which then drives focus action. And I think as a result of that, I was able to do more. And then I had more love, which drives grit. And I also had more optimism, which kept me going. And I had more resilience to keep doing it and more confidence that I wasn't worried what people thought of me. Like I was just going to do my work. I was going to live my life. And I was going to focus on that. So, so this faith gave me all the sorts of strength that made me who I am today. So I would not be writing. I would not be speaking. I would not be making the impact I have if it wasn't uh, for my faith. So it really does drive everything that I do. Now, am I here to you know, try to convert people and, and, you know, and, and all that? No, but, I'm, but I am here to share my faith. I'm here to share uh, these principles that, have, that guide me. I'm here to share the God that loves you. Because God is not a religion. God is a relationship. Yes. Jesus, Jesus even isn't a religion. He's a relationship. He didn't come to make Christians. He came to make disciples. And so when you're a disciple, you, you try to live like Jesus and lead the way he did. And as you do, you make the world a better place.
Amazing. You know, I, I think, you know, Joe Marion and, yeah. and, um, you know, I've connected with them and I'm friends with them. And, um, but it's, you know, I think we're all born impact. You know, I love his podcast and we sometimes don't know how to impact and through the impact that life throws at us. Like right now, some people are impacted in a positive way, in a negative way. A lot, a lot of people are in a negative way. And I think what I love about you, John, is that when you talk, you talk from um, a, a part and a point where you've been through it, you understand it, you know how people feel, you connect with the audience because like, I, I feel your pain, I feel your hurt, how can I help you, right? And what do you think, what do you think people can do during this time, I think we're, we are restructuring more than ever, restructuring our lives, restructuring our finances. What are some action steps that people can do to restructure uh, their life, things that you've done in your life to restructure and things that people that are listening to this that can do to restructure? Well, any restructuring must start with knowing what you truly want. If you don't know what you want, you can't restructure. So you have to design your masterpiece. I wrote about this in The Carpenter, probably my best book is what people say. And The Carpenter is all about designing your masterpiece. What does it look like? What do you want to create? You have to have a vision for it. If you can see it, you can create it. If you have a vision, you also have the power to make it happen. So design what you want. Then you have to really evaluate what needs to go, what needs to stay. So maybe you're doing something right now in your life that you don't really love. Maybe there's something you truly want to do. And this is a great moment, a great opportunity to really identify what is it that you truly want, what you want to build, and what you want to create. That's the most important thing you can do right now. Then identify what are the steps I need to do to actually create it. What are those zoom focus action steps? I call it the telescope and the microscope. Telescope is this big picture vision of what we wanna create. The microscope's the zoom focus actions that we, we need to take to realize the picture in the telescope. And you have both, you have the telescope and the microscope every day, yeah. you're gonna create something amazing. So, so restructure for me is, is, is focusing on that. And then also you wanna restructure fear and bring love into the picture instead. So you want to restructure fear into love and into faith because love casts out fear. So if you love it, you won't fear it. And right now I'm, I kind of admit like I'm not fearful during this time. I've lost hundred percent of my speaking income and yet I'm not fearful. I truly have faith that somehow, some way we're going to get through this. We're going to grow from this. We're going to become better from this. And that's just the mindset that's carrying me forward. But I think it's that if you love it, you won't fear it. You know, I work with a lot of professional athletes with the Rams and the Dodgers and the Miami Heat, Clemson football the past eight years and the Texas Longhorns and all, all sorts of teams. And when I work with these teams, you know, I help them overcome their fear by reminding them of the love they have for the game. And if you love it, fear cannot exist. So if you're loving competing, loving the game, loving the moment, you won't be fearful. You only allow fear to affect you when you worry about the future, worry about not performing well, worry about what people are going to say about you. But if you're in love and focusing on the love, then fear dissipates and you perform at a higher level. Do you feel that you love more when you're more present? Because sometimes we're so focused on past or so focused on future, but we're never focused on present, the now? Um, in terms of, yeah, I think we need to be focused on the now because the love is, is greatest in the moment, in the now. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's so true. What, you know, what, what, what do you think is your, what was your hardest book to write? And what was your favorite book to write? My hardest book to write was The Carpenter because I was so full of fear in the moment. Like I was so full of fear uh, that I couldn't write. I was worried about people were going to say it was a piece of junk. And, 
all my past work was like my best work and my best work was, was behind me. And so I literally had all this fear because the energy bus had come out, training camp was doing great, people were loving training camp. So I was allowing all the noise and the accolades and the praise, right, get to me. And then what happened was I woke up one morning and I said, you know what, I just gotta bring love to what I'm doing. I gotta love this process, love the reader, because that's how I wrote the energy bus, just loving the reader and loving the moment of writing. And I just gotta bring love back to it. And so that's what I focused on. I wrote that book after the hard part in two and a half weeks. And yeah. then it just, boom, came to me. Whoa. So really great experience, which then made its way into the story of the character who struggles with fear as he's trying to build greatness. Because anyone who's trying to build greatness will struggle with fear. So yeah, I would say it was probably my hardest. And then what was the easiest, did you say? Uh, what's your, your favorite, so that was your hardest. What's your favorite book? Favorite book, favorite, training camp. What the best do better than everyone else. And wow. the story about a guy who has to overcome his fear, find his faith to be all that he's meant to be. To me, that's, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and it's, and it's, it's the winning habits that separate the best from the rest. So I really loved writing it. I think it really helps a lot of people. Damian Lillard, the NBA superstar, read it twice before his rookie season wow. to remind himself how hard he would have to work. I hear from a lot of NBA players, NFL players, major league baseball players who read the book and a lot of business people read it just in terms of excellence and pursuing their greatness. And, um, and then it's just meaningful for me because the story is just sort of my own personal story just told in a different narrative with different characters. Yeah, isn't it so cool that something that you write at home or somewhere um, that it can inspire and just give energy to a pro athlete, to somebody in the corporate world, a father, a mother, whoever it is, like to know that there's energy that's in the book and when you open it, like the art of reading just never gets old and what it totally. does. Totally. I mean, the best feel in the world. And you know how it feels when you hear from people that say your book made a difference in their life. That's what it's all about. Like, that's what excites me. Selling copies doesn't really excite me. I mean, if on this journey, like I never kept track and now you sort of know how many you've sold, your publisher tells you. But at the same point, when you make an impact in someone's life and they reach out to you and say, your book touched me. I always respond to those people because that's what it's all about. One life at a time. And no matter if you sold 4 million, when one person reaches out and you made a difference, that's everything. Yeah. And I, I love your spirit. You know, I know this is the first time connecting with you, but you just, as an author, you see how much heart goes into what you're writing and, and speaking and all that. What, it, what has been some of your, your best moments or, moments in on this journey people you've met uh things you do if you had to pick out like two or three top moments of things that have happened that were funny that were scary uh from this hard journey. to say like you know so many but i would say a couple i mean just being with clemson when they won the national championship yeah that's cool that's really cool being on the field with them in the locker room working, like? working with them for eight years and then being with the team and being there at the game and on the sidelines was just an epic experience like one of the best feelings in the world to be with Dabo when there were three people three reporters interviewing him after a practice on a like a, a baseball sort of park bench as we're sitting there to now when you go there the world is there at this press conference to see that change is, is really cool when you look at a winning team like that John what you know because there's there's people that are listening to this that have organizations or um, play sports 
what were some of the elements of that winning team with Clemson during those years, eight years? What were that the, the dynamics that you saw that made them win, would you say? Well, that's, that's my specialty. I mean, that's a whole other podcast that we could do sometime talking about leadership and teamwork and culture, because that's what I do. I work with teams, companies, that's, and that's what I do. So basically watching what Dabo did is his leadership, his optimism, his belief. I've never met a more positive person, a leader that's incredible, but it's not just positivity. He also holds his team accountable. He drives them towards excellence. He's intentional. So it's a lot of love and accountability. It's demanding but not demeaning. He creates this incredible family culture that everyone wants to be a part of. He recruits great people to it, great coaches who invest in their players. They're all about the love. They truly invest in their players. A lot of people talk about family. They are a real family. Of course, you got to have talent. He brought in Deshaun Watson and then, you know, now Trevor Lawrence and so forth. So he's great quarterbacks, but just to see his leadership, like he's one of the greatest leaders I've met. So in my book, The Power of Positive Leadership, if you are a leader, you would want to read that book because it's going to give you a framework of leadership of everything we did there and how Dabo leads. And they also adopted my principles from the carpenter as part of their program, wow. love, serve, and care. Hmm. Love, serve, and care. We're going to love our players. We're going to serve their hearts, serve their minds, serve their talents, and we're going to show we care about them. I asked a freshman during training camp this past year, hey, why'd you choose Clemson? He said, because they love us here. He wow. said, a lot of teams talk about it, but you just feel it here. You know it's real. He goes, don't get me wrong. Dabo yells at me a lot. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, he's giving me a lot of yellings. He goes, but I know he's doing it because he cares about me mm. and he loves me and he wants me to be great. So Dabo will drive you to be great. Like he's going to push you, but because he loves you, he earns the right to do that. And they invest a lot in their culture. When they have a, a, a meeting before every season, he and his coaching staff, that meeting lasts for four days. And he goes through a book the size of like a huge phone book, probably two phone books. And they go through page by page all the things that made them who they are and their program and how they got here. And so he brings up some of my stuff, stuff from other authors that have influenced their program. And he basically goes through it to talk about it. He said, if you lose one thing over time, you'll lose everything. So you really got to make sure that you're focusing on what got us here so we don't lose it. There's probably a more efficient way to do it than four days. Yeah. You know, the, the coaching staff, when they're done, like, oh, man. But by doing it, you're reminding everyone what matters most and what our culture is all about. So he's always driving the culture. And then he builds a, a really great team. But a lot of ideas in that book that a lot of leaders will get from that. It's like I worked with Snapchat recently and their president and CEO, Evan Spiegel, you know, brought me in, founder. And he read that book. And brought me in to work with his leadership team about two years ago when they were struggling with Instagram and the marketplace was coming after and Wall Street was. And, and they really just focused on staying positive and positive leadership and making sure they were tuning out the noise and leading from the inside out. And then over the last couple of years, you've seen their growth because yeah. they just stayed positive in the face of negativity. Yeah. Yeah. I know we have another five or so minutes. Um, what, when you look at cultures, what are some of the elements that, that you've seen with companies or or sports teams or players that hurt culture? What, what are like things that you see? All right, that, that is not good. That's like, what are some top things? Yeah, some of the biggest mistakes that leaders make is that they don't focus on their culture first and foremost. They don't reinforce it. So they don't identify what they stand for. And even if they do, they don't actually make sure they reinforce those principles and core values into the organization. 
And so I always say that a mission statement is pointless unless you have people on a mission. Mm. And you can have the greatest core values written on the walls, but they're meaningless if you don't live and breathe them every day. Wow. So that's one of the things is they don't make sure, they don't reinforce the values. They don't live them. Remember Enron, one of their core values was integrity. Yeah. How'd that go? So <laughs> it, starts, it starts first and foremost with that. The second mistake that leaders make is they allow negativity to persist and exist. They don't address the negativity. They don't confront it. One thing Dabo does and all the great leaders I've worked with is they address the negativity and they make a decision that we're not going to allow energy vampires and negative people to sabotage our team and sabotage the mission we're on. So you must confront and address the negativity that exists. So that's a big mistake as well. And then another mistake that leaders make is they focus on themselves and not their teams. They're me instead of we. And yes, you have to be someone who's focused on yourself to be great, right? But, but you must eventually put your team before you, serve your team in order to build a great team and organization. So you got to have great teamwork. And great cultures really focus on great teamwork that are connected and committed because you will never have commitment without connection. So to be a committed team, you need to be a connected team. And it's the connection, the connection that breeds the commitment. So I'm really big and I work with a lot of teams on helping them become connected and committed. Yeah. And it's interesting because you talked about loving and, and serving and caring. That was the elements that Clemson brought to the table. And when people come to get recruited, because, you know, playing D1 baseball and playing professional our best teams and best coaches were ones that we wanted to go all out because we knew they loved us and we'd feel bad if we were letting them down. You know, I think some of the best coaches are the ones that are like father figures, right? I love that. Yeah. And you don't need a lot of rules when you have a team that loves each other. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have love on the team, you don't need a lot of rules. Why? Because you just said it. You want to be your best for yeah. your teammates. If you truly love each other, you want to be great for each other, but you can't allow the love to, create excuses or to lead to a team that makes excuses for each other because that's not really love because I'm going to help you be your best. You're going to help me be my best. And that's the way we become great. So, so it's the fine line between I love you, but we're here to be great together and great teams have, have both of that. Love it. I'll ask you two more questions. We'll wrap up. What, what are the things that you haven't done that you still do want to do, you know, over the next few years? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I still have books that I want to write. So I'm currently writing those. I have a movie that I want to make with training camp. So I'm working on that right now. I've got the screenplay written by a great screenplay writer. So awesome. that's one of my projects to read over the next couple of weeks. I've been doing so many Zooms and serving and giving, right? That I haven't really had time to do those things, but I'm now going to have to turn to start doing some of those things. And then I've got a TV show I'm working on in Hollywood with some great producers. And it's a TV show about the motivational speaking world. So Great. Really, the idea is great. And if, if it gets picked up by a network, it's going to be amazing. So we're going to pitch networks right now. So again, creating some things in the, um, in the interim while we're going through this. You deserve that. You really do. Appreciate um, that. We, were, we did our first one in October, November. It was called livingtoinspire.com. They're inspirational music festivals. Um, we did our first one. It was TEDx speakers, pro athletes, music, all combined into one. And we were going to do our next one in Miami in, um, in May, but unfortunately, so maybe in the future we'll collaborate. But one I, would, I would love to speak at one of those. I love that kind of a, event. And um, I mean, it's incredible that you do that. And I'm excited about those events happening again, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy how a few months ago we were hugging and especially being Italian, it's so hard not to hu hug your dad or mom. 
but you're like, let me protect you and like, that awkwardness. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish up with this. Um, well, first where people can find you, I'll put it below the link. We'll share this. And, and a lot of people are going to listen to this. Where can people find you? Just johngordon.com, J-O-N gordon.com or Twitter. Instagram is at J-O-N gordon 11. Got to put the 11 in there because someone already took John Gordon. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that underneath. That's amazing. And um, we'll definitely uh, share this uh, with a lot of people in our, our list. Uh, this is the last question that we ask on every podcast with the Summer Rock Life show. So here is the end all be all question. Ready? So um, if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, what would your message be to the world? Mm. One sentence, one word, what would your message be to the world if the whole world could see your message? I got a couple of them, but, <laughs> but I would say if just one, being positive doesn't just make you better, it makes everyone around you better. Wow. My mission, poor mission is positivity, but I would also add to that, the pessimists do not change the world. And this positivity is not about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. And the reason why I would say that is because when you are positive, you are the kind of leader that can make, a greatest, make the greatest impact. It's the positive leaders, the believers, the dreamers, the doers that make the greatest impact. Pessimists, naysayers, complainers, they don't create a great future. And so you have to be positive in order to do that. The other saying I might say on that billboard is, being positive won't guarantee you'll succeed, but being negative will guarantee you won't. Mm. And I think that's key too. And also right now more than ever during this coronavirus thing, stars shine the brightest in the darkness and positive people shine the most through adversity. So right now you're going to shine the most when you can stay positive through it all. Again, it's not about ignoring the reality of the situation. You accept it, you embrace it, you understand what's going on, but we have to believe in a brighter and better future because if we believe it, we will then take the actions necessary to create it. That's research from Duke university on optimists. Optimists succeed more because they believe it and it leads to action. So, it's not about just thinking, but it's about action, but it's the thoughts that drive the action. And I think that's why uh, I'm such a believer in that. And that's why I would put that in the billboard. That's, that's one of my favorite answers to that. I, I love it. It's you can see that you give off even over zoom. I feel it from 1200 miles away. Um, but people like you, John are, are, and I know you probably hear this all the time. You do great things for the world without a doubt. And I know you've inspired so many people. Uh, you truly are living to inspire, and it's been a pleasure having you on the show. You know, the Summer Rock Life uh, Nation's going to enjoy this, and uh, definitely go get his books. Um, you know, so many books. I, I'm praying for you to have that breakthrough with Hollywood and in the movie. Um, any way we can connect or help out with that with our connections, uh, you know, I'll sign a letter if I have to, whatever it is. But that's um, awesome that you're doing that because I think I have a good friend of mine called Charlie uh, Rocket. He, um, he, uh, his name's CEO Charlie, and he's, he's like, make America dream again. And I think we need to make America dream again because a lot of dreams have been taken away recently, but the dream is the most powerful thing. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. And I think that's what you do every time that you go out there is you spark dreams into people, into athletes, into organizations, into companies, and uh, you sparked it into to us. And I uh, appreciate you having on the show. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. Appreciate the work that you do. Can't wait to read your book. I'm excited about that and look forward to talking on on future, you know what? Great people do great things together. And it's just about finding like-minded people who, who want and believe in doing the same things. Life is short as we know, right? It's very short. No matter how long we're in a, 
live. My mom died at 59. My dad died two years ago. So you often think about what kind of life do you want to live? What kind of legacy you want to leave? What kind of difference you want to make? And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So I'm only focused on things that actually matter. And I try to tune out all the distractions that don't. So working with great people is part of my, uh, is, is really part of my, my life strategy to create a great life and try to not work with the energy vampires that sabotage you. So thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it so much. Guys, enjoy this. Share this with a friend and um, definitely uh, leave a comment um, if, if this has inspired you. God bless you guys and have a great week.